Hello, my name is Ben. Hello, Ben. I am John. Hi, John. Thank you for joining me on the Two Vague Podcast this week. Thank you for having me. We have a special word all prepared for John this week. The word is cooperation. When you think of the word, what's the first thing that comes to mind? Is it gaming related or is it non-gaming related? Um, I think cooperation just, just as a whole kind of applies to, uh, to, many, to many aspects of life. You know, you're living with other humans your whole life or you're, you're interacting with other people. And so it's, it's healthy to cooperate. And what it kind of means is to give something of your own in order to help someone else out or, yeah. or someone vice versa. I think it's helping each other out. And I think also sometimes it's necessary. It's not just helpful. You've got tasks that you need to cooperate in order to get them done, or it would be a lot easier. Definitely. Many hands make light work. As someone once said, and I don't know where this came from, teamwork makes the dream work. (laughs) Exactly. Love it. (laughs) I was just playing a game recently called The World Ends With You, the new one that just came out, sort of an action-oriented RPG. The main character in the first game when someone said teamwork makes the dream work, he rolled his eyes and he was just kind of like, uh, whatever. But then he learned the power of friendship, <laughs> as you do in most Japanese RPGs. Let's just cover the, the main definition we've got. How do you spell cooperation? Because it looks like there are two spellings. I always spell it without a hyphen, but apparently... Yeah, I don't think I spell it with the hyphen. I, I just spell it C-O-O-P, you know, and then E-R-A. That's how I spell it too, but apparently the Oxford English Dictionary also shows that there's a co-hyphen operation, which to me sounds like it's two people doing an operation. Which I guess makes more sense, you know, it's an operation that is co. It's a co-operation. But I mean, as a medical professional, I don't think that there is a co-operation. Do you think that there would be... (laughs) Like, you know, two people doing an operation? I think every operation is a co-operation. You know, you've got uh, you got your surgeon or something, and you got people helping them out. I think it's always a uh, many-person job. So okay. Like most things in life are cooperations. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I was just thinking from the, you know, like I'm going to go to the hospital and get a co-operation. You wouldn't say that. Yeah. You would just say, I'm getting an operation. Co-operation. That's neither here nor there. <laughs> I digress. Assistance, especially by uh, ready compliance with requests, we would like to ask you for your cooperation in taking this survey, or then also you have the process of working together to reach a common goal. When you go to school, okay, so you're going to college right now, right? Yes. Okay. And the one thing I remember from college was group projects. Okay. Do you guys still have to do those types of group projects? I don't know what you're studying. What is your uh, chosen field of study, John? Well, I am business, and I definitely have a lot of group work. I would say um, almost once a week I'd have a presentation in one of my classes, and more times than, than others they are group projects, usually groups of three or four, and you've got the classic someone that kind of volunteers as team leader, you know, makes the group chat with people, is texting, hey guys, you know, finished my slides, uh, hopefully we can get these done by tomorrow, so we'll have some time to review, and then you've got someone, which is sometimes me, that finishes their slide the night before you're presenting, <laughs> or... And, and, and all that, so... You're that guy. Yeah, I am the uh, usually the final link. Yep. 
But no one ever accuses you of not doing your job, right? Because I mean, I remember no, because I usually do a phenomenal job last minute. So <laughs> okay, okay. So you're one of those under pressure. Yes, definitely. Yep. Teamwork in the college environment. Usually for me, maybe it was just when I was going to college, I just had trouble with the whole dynamic of working with a group. But over time, that's something you develop, or at least I developed as far as work. When you get into the workforce, so to speak, that becomes necessary, you know, working together as a team. It is kind of necessary in college, but I mean, I always found that there was always one person or a couple of people in a group that didn't really pull their weight. And instead of focusing on the task, my focus deviated and that wasn't, that wasn't always very good. You know, it, it deviated towards saying, well, what about those jackholes over there not doing their work? Exactly. Yeah. So part of teamwork is also, you know, taking up the slack, I think too, cooperating is if there is something where you need to make a contingency based on, the people in your group that's part of cooperation i think i mean i don't know yeah i think it's i agree and i th- and i think uh it is easy to fall into that rut of like you know what well i'll get this done regardless but you know so and so uh you know james isn't isn't pulling his weight and and that's making me upset but i think it's important to be level-headed in group projects because you know it, it let's say you know, so-and-so James isn't doing his slides and you're going to complain about it and not, and not finish your own right. in the process. Well, you could just be the bigger person and, and maybe help him out with his slide or ask one of the other people in the group to help you out with his slide. And, right. you know, I don't, I don't think that it's one of those things where you should have ever like tell the teacher, but I think it's important to kind of, to, to give them like a reality check and, you know, like, Hey, you didn't do your part and yeah. You made so-and-so and I do it for you and that's that's not fair. So So has that ever happened to you in the in the college environment? You're you're like a you're like a junior or a senior now, right? Sophomore, sophomore. Sophomore. Okay. <laughs> but it definitely happens. Uh freshman year is it's not a whole lot different than high school. So you've got a lot of people that don't take it as seriously and, and, and still slack off on work. So it definitely happens. Right. Luckily it's nothing. It's all like core requirement classes that I'm taking right now. So nothing that's too challenging to, to get done. So it hasn't been too much of a headache, but it definitely happens. And yeah. like, I think in every group presentation, it can kind of happen. So. And it's just a matter of how you deal with it. I think admittedly my response, it did have a tendency to distract me whenever someone wasn't pulling their weight. And then I ended up doing the whole project by myself just to make sure that something was done. But but that's not the most effective way of doing anything. Yeah. Just trying to pull the weight yourself. Yeah, definitely not. Not the solution. And then also the, the professors kind of have, I mean, even though they aren't a part of the group, they can pick up clues on who's who's prepared and who isn't based on how a project comes off, right? And technology has uh, definitely changed the way that professors look at group presentations because through slides you know we use google for everything uh like google slides google docs and and they just click view version history and they can see who did what so oh yeah if if they think someone's not pulling their weight and they open that up and they haven't even touched it you know they they can figure that out pretty easily i didn't even think about how the technology has changed there too because back (laughs) 
Back in my day, when we did the computer-oriented projects, it was, you know, you create the file, you, you all are creating this thing together on a computer. So it's not like a Google share sort of situation where multiple people can be touching a single project simultaneously and it tracks that. Yeah, you know? yeah. Technology, pretty amazing. And actually, it's kind of an aside to cooperation, but I guess it sort of relates to it. You don't know any different from going to college during the pandemic, right? That's how you've always gone to college. Is that correct? I started during kind of the hybrid period where I had some classes online, but some in person and, and everything in person was mask on and, you know, mask on in the cafeteria, mask on in the library. Okay. Um, and then the second half of my freshman year, all classes in person, but masks were only required in the classroom. So cafeteria, I didn't have to wear a mask. Library didn't have to wear a mask. Anywhere else on campus did not have to wear a mask. Okay. So kind of in the in-between phase, it wasn't as, as much like in uh, 2021 where there was like just complete shutdown and everything online. Right. So I did I did get to have an experience, which was nice. Okay. Did you take a year off after high school or did you just go right? Just went right to college, yep. Did you have any high school interactions with the pandemic? Yeah, my entire senior year, I, uh, I stepped in the building one time. Oh, boy. Everything else was online, yep. So I, was, I stepped in the building once for the last day of school and then another time for graduation. Wow. And that was it. What do you think of that experience and how that kind of, I mean, do you think that we are going to be working more collaboratively in an environment where the office is virtual? Do you think that's something that's happening or do you think there's always going to be a need for personal interaction in a business? What are your thoughts on that? Given that there's no future pandemic, kind of like, you know, COVID, and I think nothing can beat the raw cooperation of being in person and being able to talk to someone and because just i just think the way that your work flows and your ideas flow through text and through you know collaborative like documents and stuff like that just isn't the same yeah so i i think that there will always be an in-person aspect yeah to uh to at least most jobs and i also think that but maybe this could be my age but I think it's a lot easier to motivate someone in person than it is to motivate them by email or by text or by chat Definitely. or even by video. It's very easy to drag an email into, uh, you know, into trash or, right. or toss in the spam and, you know, oh, I'll go look at that later and then never look at it again. But if someone's saying it directly to you, there's no avoiding it. There's no yeah. just like can't look down at your phone and escape it. You know, you got to answer and you got you to gotta figure stuff out and get it done. So right. I think that. The motivation in person is far superior. And by the way, pro tip, read receipts. Read receipts. Make sure <laughs> you, <laughs> if it's anything super important, read receipts. Then you'll know. Being someone currently in the workforce, my work shut down. Partially, we were all working from home for about a year. And it seems to be slowly they're trying to get it back to normal but people are very resistant even now to go back to the office and i just think that you are correct there's something lost from not being able to interact with people in person yeah even calling them that's still not the same it's just yeah but better than a text it's true are you someone who, in day-to-day -day interactions, personal interactions, would prefer to talk to someone or chat or text? Because I know there are a lot of people who just like to text. 
Is that a generational thing or what is your preference? I definitely prefer talking if it's, uh, you know, if it's something important or if I'm just checking in with someone, I prefer to talk over the phone. But if it's a simple like, oh, you said we were doing lunch today and then shoot them a text. What time are we doing lunch? Or, you know, something yeah. like that. I think that's different. But if I'm texting someone uh, like, oh, how are you? Have been? We haven't talked in a minute. I'd like to, I'd like a phone call. I think it's more respectable and I think it's more endearing. I agree. I think there was a time in between our generations where everyone was just texting stuff. You know, it was just text, text, text. But I don't think that that's something that your generation does as much. Actually, I mean, I don't know. I, I would say my generation texts everything. Really? I would say I'm in the minority of people that enjoys phone calls. Oh, yeah. okay. I, I think the majority of people are annoyed or upset when, when someone calls them instead of texting them. Really? Wow. Yeah. Okay. All right. I, I mean, I can tell you for a fact, I think both my sisters would agree with what I just said. I think they prefer... Uh, prefer text messages they prefer text messages too i think so hmm it's, that's interesting okay i was hoping that there was hope for people talking but cooperation do you think of any phrases or anything specifically when i say the word cooperation or is it just teamwork and working together or what i said earlier i i, I mentioned uh, many hands make light work and i think that is a good way to sum up cooperation because i think if you give you know, two people a task and they try it each independently, it's going to take a lot longer than if they choose to work together. Right, right. And I think it's just more efficient and I think humans were designed to cooperate. Yep. And I know you are on a sports team, right? Are you are you a sport guy? Yeah, I play lacrosse for Santa Clara. Okay. Um, you, you Did you play lacrosse in high school or just in I college? Did. Okay. So I played um, from sixth grade until present day oh wow you went to school in illinois yes yes I okay did. where in illinois lake forest so about 30 35 minutes north of chicago okay i went to school in crystal lake illinois okay i don't know if you know where that is but yeah yeah, yeah. i know where that is okay we didn't have a lacrosse team at the time but mm -hmm. i do remember seeing one time a college kid who would come home from school and he would go to the grade school and there was like a wall where he would practice doing all sorts yeah, of stuff some with wall his, ball. Yep. And we were fascinated by that. And we would, you know, he'd show us a couple of things, but I just never could get the whole how you keep the ball in the net by just wobbling it back and forth. Is that something? Yep. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Is that just a natural skill that you just develop as you're playing? Is that just something that's just the way you I think for me being a smaller kid, it was kind of a fear factor type thing. It's like I got, I have the ball and I'm running from guys uh -huh. that are trying to hit me with a stick. Like I don't want to drop it. I want to keep it. So right. you eventually just you learn to cradle and you learn to possess the ball. Stick skills are a lot of the times the difference in uh, winning and losing a game, being comfortable with. Is it called dribbling? It's not called dribbling. No, right? just cradling. Cradling. Okay. Yeah, because you don't have to. You don't have to bounce the ball on the ground or anything. You just you can just run with it whenever you have it. So. So the thing you do with the cradling when you're wobbling it back and forth is just to make it a lot less easy to to pop it out. Or yeah, if someone were to hit my stick and I'm cradling, it's probably not going to come out unless they have a good you know a good stick check or something but right. it's it's also so that i'm running when i'm running really fast you know you're pumping your arms back and forth right and if you're not cradling to keep the ball in in the pocket 
when you're running really fast, the ball is just going to fly out. Right. Okay. So, so it's, it's kind of to, to allow you to run faster, but also to secure the ball more. So. Gotcha. I was always under the impression that it was a rule that you had to keep it. No, you didn't have to. You could, you could hold it like a, like a pan, you know, you could hold it like a, like a pan and you're just holding the ball and you're holding the stick completely <laughs> horizontal. You could just run with it like that if you wanted to. Okay. There's no, no rule to how you can run with it as long as your hand isn't like holding the ball. You can't touch the ball with your hand. Right. Okay. What about bounce passes? Are there bounce passes or is it all? Yeah, there's bounce passes. It's a lot tougher just because the field that you're playing on varies. And so they all bounce differently. So it's definitely tougher. But I, I had a goal this year off of a bounce pass. And it was definitely, it was a first for me, but they are becoming more common. It, it would seem to me, if you, if you know the, the surface or what, what kind of surface it is or how, you know, what the it's going to vary depending on where you where you play, right? But maybe you could, you know, during practice, you can kind of suss out where on the field or what the... Like, fundamentally, the best spot to shoot is a bounce shot. Like, they teach you to bounce the ball when you're shooting it because of what we're just saying, the, un- the unpredictableness of the ground mm. makes it very tough for the goalie to judge where it's going to bounce to when 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 you bounce the ball. So like you you'd shoot the ball from maybe 10 yards out and you bounce the ball like 2 yards before the goalie so that when it, the ball's going to fly up to around his waist level yeah. and he's got to kind of try and guess where it's going to be and it's very tough to track. So that's yeah. that's why they teach you to to try and aim uh to bounce it. So what does the goalie's stick look like? Is it any larger, or is it the head of a normal lacrosse stick? It's three inches wide at the at the at the neck of it, and then it kind of widens out to like six inches wide. Right. And a goalie stick is like a foot wide. Oh wow! They're not trying to block it; they're trying to catch it. They're trying to catch it or block it. It's either or. They're trying to deflect it off their body or whatever it takes for the ball not to drop into the net. Yeah, similar to soccer or or hockey or whatever. It's got a very a very deep pocket so that when you catch the ball and they're coming in at 90 miles an hour, right. it can actually absorb some of the speed so it doesn't bounce right back out. I'm guessing it's like any other field sport. There's like offsides. There's like different orientations. There like are, yeah. We, so, we, don't, we don't have to get too too deep into the to the rules <laughs> yeah. of... Because they are complicated, actually. I don't know if you listened to the show that I did on rugby, but it was just the same thing. I mean, we ended up talking about rugby the entire time <laughs> and not anything yeah. about video games. Are there any lacrosse games out there, like video game lacrosse? Yeah, so a cool story. There is this retired now Hall of Fame professional lacrosse player, Casey Powell. Okay. And he played at Syracuse and was you know, an all-time great, considered like the Michael Jordan of lacrosse. Okay. He retired and he created a lacrosse video game or i don't know if he actually created it but his name is on the title it's casey powell lacrosse okay. there's like a 2019 version i think a 2020 i think it's on xbox playstation and pc and casey powell was actually my high school coach for my club team so oh, wow. i actually know casey pretty well nice yeah mm-hmm. so i never i have played the game before i don't own it but okay i've played it before i guess from a strategic or maybe a tactical sort of standpoint playing a game like that might give you sort of an idea of how other teams could react to something, but it, that's only as good as the AI, right? That would only be I as good as the I think it's more a arcade style and less realistic. It's such a complicated sport. It's so complex in terms of, you know, basketball, you, you, you pass or you, or you shoot, and 
when you're playing, you know, NBA 2K or something, you don't really aim the pass. You just kind of point at the direction and, right. and it passes it. Yeah. But in lacrosse, you can change the height of the pass and the speed of the pass and you can lead someone. There's a bunch of different styles of shooting. Uh-huh. So I think it's so complex that they, they kind of took the easy way out and made it more of an arcade style game where you click a button to shoot or you click a button to pass and that's kind of it. Yeah. And it's not very complicated. As far as if you're making comparisons to complexity, wouldn't it be more like hockey, right? Like a hockey, like yeah. an NHL game. Because mm-hmm. they, they add complexity with every version of that. To make it yeah, more, yeah, I do play a lot of NHL. That's a fun game. I like that. Oh yeah, okay. A little bit. I play a little bit at school with with some buddies, just okay. kind of for fun. I don't own it, but local co-op. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, we're getting into video games, but I, I still have questions about lacrosse and as far yeah. as cooperation. You can be like you said, the Michael Jordan of lacrosse, right? You still need yep. a team. You still need yeah. to cooperate in, in that environment. In the sports that you have played, has it only been lacrosse, or have you all done other sports in high school think before it, that? Well, in in high school, I played I played soccer. Okay. Freshman sophomore year, but before that, I played basketball my entire life. Gotcha. And a little bit of baseball when I was a lot younger, but mm-hmm. it was mainly the three: um, lacrosse, basketball, and soccer. Those were kind of my my sports. Your big three in yeah. high school. Yeah. And now it's just lacrosse that you're just yep, doing just lacrosse yeah. although i play intramural soccer for fun every once in a while as far as a physical standpoint soccer versus lacrosse do you think lacrosse is more physical exertion wise is it more draining is it or is there no comparison depends on position mm-hmm. you, you know i think goalie in both sports you're not moving a whole lot but i will say if you're if you're a midfielder in lacrosse which is what i what i used to play a lot is more draining than any soccer position okay as a midi you're you're subbing in and out very quickly so you're going to be in the game for two minutes at a time and you're sprinting the entire two minutes and then you run off the field catch you know catch your breath and go back in a couple minutes later whereas soccer it might not be as intense but you are in the game for a lot longer and so it definitely adds up lacrosse's endurance but but soccer is is more endurance and i don't think you need the sheer speed as much mm-hmm. as lacrosse, uh, as soccer is a lot more footwork based. Okay. But lacrosse is a lot more stick skill based. So they're definitely different. One is arms, one's one's legs. Like sprinting versus marathon kind of yeah. difference there between the two. Yeah, I think a professional track and field star would have more of an advantage in lacrosse, whereas a professional cross-country runner would have more of an advantage in soccer okay so teamwork in lacrosse is that part of why cooperation is it seems to be an important word to you team sports is that something where Definitely. i hear that you score lots of goals do you <laughs> I, I do score i do score a little bit i had a good season this year and yeah. but i i would say 90 percent of my lacrosse career i was a role player which is you know i don't get all the goals and i don't get all the recognition for you know for scoring and assists but i would go out and i would do my job and we get a goal and it wouldn't be from me right but i would be a key component to why we would get those goals so maybe you know maybe i, I was the one who starts the playoff and we, like we've got, you know, we got a bunch of plays and I'm, and I'm running off ball and making room for other people. And that, that was always my job. And so when I had the choice between playing in college and, and continuing to be a role player 
or going to play club lacrosse in college, which is what I'm doing now, and kind of get the spotlight for a little bit. And so I chose to play club lacrosse and get more playing time than I would if I if I chose to play an actual like NCAA division, you know, okay. Division three or something. But it's a lot more fun, I think, for me just because I never got my chance to really shine, and, and I've kind of gotten that now. So Cool. By club, that's just a men's non-affiliated with the college, kind of. I don't know what the difference between. So a little, yeah, so it's a little more complicated than that. So I played Division One MCLA club, which is Men's College Lacrosse Association. Okay. So my school does not actually have an NCAA lacrosse team, and no teams on the West Coast other than Utah have an actual NCAA Division One lacrosse team. Okay. Because of that, all the big schools on the West Coast are all club. And it's definitely not as competitive as actually, you know, NCAA Division One. But I would say that it is on par with or better than a lot of Division Three programs. Okay. Because you have a lot of players at, you know, these massive state schools like Cal Berkeley and University of Nevada and University of Oregon, Oregon State. Clemson. These are all schools that we get to play, mm. and they're you know thirty five thousand plus undergrad students. Right. Out of that, you've got to have at least a couple that could have played competitive college lacrosse right. and chose not to because you know maybe it was the education or they got a scholarship for, for academics. And so out of that, you know, on every team you're having a couple players who can really play and who are yeah. really solid. So it's not, and, and we are sponsored by the school. So the school gives us money and gotcha. we get to travel and, and do stuff like that. So it's really cool because it's not as, as serious as an actual NCAA program, but it's it's enough to where it's competitive for me and it's serious enough to where I can still get my college experience yeah. and still be able to play lacrosse. I think what we've got similarly is, is like club hockey at U of A, University of Arizona. Um, they don't have an actual... We get to play them in lacrosse as well. Really? Okay. Yeah, we play them. Yeah. Are they any good? Um, this year we were ranked higher than them. We were sixth in the country this year. Oh, okay. They were, uh, they were top 20 at some point, I think. Yeah. They're usually pretty competitive. So the competition is still... A very important part of this as far as your playing mm-hmm. it's very serious you're not taking this any less serious than if it were at the college level that's not true i don't think just because you know we don't we pra- we practice year round but in the fall and winter it's like two practices a week three practices a week nothing too serious it's still a college club sport so you've got you know the older guys that are showing up to practice hungover or showing up late and right it's not as serious as you think and we have fun practices he makes us work sometimes but and, and by he i mean my coach but it's at the end of the day he knows that we are all choosing to do this and we're not locked in at any point so so he wants to keep us doing it and he wants us to have fun so okay so- it's definitely not as serious and it's when it's game time it is serious i, I do take games very serious but other than that it's i'm not losing sleep over a bad practice or anything like that right do you have any concerns like it's kind of the college thing with the group projects right if you're so competitive do you have concerns about other teammates not being as competitive as you or how how you deal with that or is it just i'll go out and play my game and we can win but it's just having fun is mostly what what i'm here for or what? what is your thought? So there's a split in the team where half the guys are not affiliated in, in any other extracurriculars other than lacrosse. And so to them, it is 
their number one priority and they take it very seriously and and a loss is heartbreaking and a win is is amazing and there's no like half working it's always like they give it their all and then there's the other half who who sometimes are the better players on the team that don't take it as seriously sometimes i fall into that category and i and i can usually catch myself there's some of the older guys that are really talented but aren't very driven and you know they'll, they'll try when they want to and when they don't they don't and sometimes we lose because of that but then you just have to remind yourself you know i'm, I'm here because i like playing lacrosse and right and I'm here to have fun. So that can be difficult as a competitive person, right? Definitely. Yeah. Definitely can be difficult. We talked offline about how you are currently playing a game called Valorant, which is a it just came out two years ago, did it not? Yeah, two and a half two and a half, something like that. Okay. And it is a game from Riot Games. It's a first person shooter game that's very counter strike like. Is that correct? Yeah. Are you familiar with Counter-Strike and kind of how that game works? I have preconceived notions about Counter-Strike. So so why don't you go ahead and explain it from someone who enjoys that type of game? So Counter-Strike is the game that, that got me into into video games, at least you know competitive video games, that is. I grew up watching people on YouTube mm-hmm. uh, who were very talented at the game. And being better than someone at a game is something that... I always enjoyed. So okay. as right. a competitive person, I wanted to give it a shot. So I built a computer in sixth grade and I started playing Counter-Strike. So Counter-Strike, you've got 10 people in every match. It's five on five and mm-hmm. there are two sites on the map. You spawn on opposite sides of the map from each other and there's two sites. You know, they call them bomb sites, but um, uh, the one team is defending the bomb sites and the other team is trying to plant a bomb there's rounds and and it's a game that is first person so you know you're looking through the eyes of the imaginary player Correct. and uh it's a shooter game so there's there's a an economy that you can use to buy a weapon at the start of every round okay and you are playing against these other five live players and i really liked the game because it was not a game that relied on rng which is you know random number generator and it is something that relies on which sorry which is something that a lot of games use a lot of games use rng which is when you click a button you know there's an imaginary dice that's that rolls and whatever it lands on is you know the amount of damage you do or the amount of you know points you get or Mm -hmm. something like that yeah anyways it was a lot more based on your skill and your precision when it comes to aim so, you know, you're aiming with your mouse and it's something you could practice. You could sit in a private lobby and, and practice shooting like robots and until you get better at it. And I liked the idea of being able to work on a game and be good at it and just see myself improve. And so I climbed the ranks of that game and I played some semi-pro through a platform called ESEA. And ESEA? Yep, the four letters ESEA. Okay. It's a global third-party platform that you could play counter-strike through to where um it doesn't use your counter-strike rank it uses an esea rank which is a lot more complex and a lot more accurate in terms of ranking uh-huh. and all the pros were playing on it so that's kind of why i started playing on it i got to a pretty competitive level and i and then i started high school and i and i stopped playing uh-huh. uh or at least i played all of freshman year and uh, i think halfway through sophomore year and then i stopped playing and, and then i picked up valorant when it came out mm-hmm. the summer going into my senior year right 
Valorant was very, very similar to CSGO, where it's the first-person shooter, it's a five-on-five, there's bomb sites, you, you know, there's an economy you use to buy weapons at the start of every round. But in Counter-Strike, no one player on one team is, is different than the other. Every player has the same ability to right. do everything. You know, anyone can buy any gun. Everyone moves at the exact same speed. Everyone jumps the same height. Everyone, you know, is visible. Everyone has can buy utilities. But Valorant, they added a whole new complexity to the game, which is each character has their own set of abilities. Right. And so Agent roles. It made an already complex, you know, CSGO-style game even more complex. And it's kind of the combination between CSGO and, and Overwatch, yeah. a, a less serious, more like ability-driven game, where CSGO was getting boring as I'd played it for so long and you know thousands of hours on that game. It made it so that I could relearn something and still use old skills I had because it still uses your aim and still uses your movement. But now it's like, you know, I've got a character that can teleport across the map or I've got a character that can blind the other opponents or throw fireballs out. You know, it was really cool to me and it was fascinating to see how quickly people were picking it up and how quickly the CSGO pros that I used to watch were switching to this game because they saw its potential. And uh, I've been playing for two years now and they, they have a ranking system. I think I'm in the top 8% of players yeah. in that game right now. Is that the ELO? ELO, yeah. So what is, I thought that ELO had its kind of beginnings in chess. Did it not? I think so. For the listeners, so when you play a match of Valorant or, or, or CSGO, which stands for Counter-Strike Global Offensive, CSGO. Anyways, when you play a match of, of either of these two games, if you win, you get a certain amount of points that go towards your rank. And if you lose, you lose points. So you can de-rank in these games, mm -hmm. and you can also rank up in these games. And so it causes the higher rank you get, the more serious people take it, and the better players there are. And, uh, you know, the more, the more frustrating it can be, I guess. Yeah. And it's nice because I guess it somewhat has a similar appeal to, like, gambling, because you are risking your rank, you're, you're risking your elo in order to try and gain more. When you enter the game, you know, you could possibly lose 15 elo, but you could also gain 20. Right. So there's something that about that rush of winning a game and how that feels and, and ranking up and was a lot of fun for me and uh, has definitely led to me being very, very passionate about the game. And it's a fun way for me to come back from work and kind of get lost in something and, yeah. and be competitive still. So is this an escape for you then? Like you, you come home from work and you play this, it's fun, or is it a competition thing, or is it a little bit of both? It is both. My escape is competitiveness, and I like being able to compete in something takes my mind off of other things, takes my mind off, to, takes my mind off school, takes my mind off of other things that might be stressing me out because the only pressing issue is me losing ELO in this game or, <laughs> or getting a certain amount of eliminations or right. uh, you know, me performing well. And I'm also I'm playing with friends a lot of the times yeah. or you know, people I've met online through the game. So there's definitely cooperation and, and camaraderie that that make it exciting and very rewarding. Do you have a consistent team that you play with? I do not. Not in this game, just because okay. uh, I'm not at the rank where I would be competitive to like be playing teams and stuff. Okay. So like I'm diamond one, but there's 
above me is you know there's ascendant and then there's immortal and then radiant is the top rank okay most people competing on teams are immortal or radiant so i'm a little ways away i probably would be nickel <laughs> they do have iron <laughs> yeah that would be me right there rusty right you know like rusty yep. metal wooden <laughs> yeah with that rating system, I was trying to ask Adam if, if he was familiar with this ranking system because it looks like a Hungarian-American physics professor named Arpad Elo. So that's where the name is comes from, his Ooh. actual name. Method for calculating relative skill levels of players in a zero-sum games such as chess. In chess, I know it's based off of the amount of moves it takes to win and how many blunders you make. Mm -hmm. So I'm, you're probably familiar with blunders, right? Mildly. I mean, as far as I am not as, as well-versed at chess as Adam is. I don't know if you've ever talked to Adam about chess, but he... I have not. Okay. Well, I'm not super well-versed either, but it's, it's just a simple concept of chess uh, can be run through a program and, and at any given point in the game, there is a one move that is the best move to make. Right. And every time you don't make that move, it's considered a blunder. Okay. So the program would look at how many times you didn't make the right move, or not necessarily the wrong move, but you know, not the perfect move, and from there they can gauge your skill level. So okay. at least in you know, in basic terms that's that's kind of how it works. Okay. Cuz for me, there's a complexity question here. If you do a headshot on someone, right? Or if you hit something that isn't a headshot, I mean, that would be a blunder, right? If you didn't headshot somebody. Yeah, a different type of, uh, yeah. You, so you, I think the most important things in, in a game like CSGO or Valorant is the amount of eliminations you're getting, but also the amount of deaths you're having. Because you could have 20 kills and, and 25 deaths, right. or you could have, you know, 15 kills and three deaths. Right. So that's something that's important. And also, yeah, like you said, headshot percentage mm -hmm. is uh, something that's calculated and also assists. In a game like Valorant, if I flash an enemy, basically I, I make them blind for a second with one of my abilities, and let's say my teammate gets the kill, I get an assist for that, and it counts it as an assist. They got the kill because I used my ability correctly. So this, you know, the ELO system gets a lot more complex, and there's so many different things it's calculating, which is why no one person could really tell you exactly how many points you'd receive for a game or not. But the program is a program, and it, and it, and it works most of the time. So. Yeah, probably the benefits of something that's not a role kind of thing where it's chance oriented where it's all about the precision did you hit the shot or did you not hit the shot there's sort of a finality to it whereas when you're playing other games it's like well does the bullet hit him roll the dice what is it you know yes so, yeah definitely so that would mean that it would be a lot it would make sense that elo would kind of apply to it Dictate, yeah. but the fact that no one knows how that's being being calculated to me is just kind of like okay your elo ranking goes up you play in teams of five right mm -hmm. as far as cooperation is concerned you're still trying to okay so does everyone focus on boosting their elo or well, i think what you might be trying trying to ask is do people prioritize their own ranking up versus the team winning the game correct yeah like their own stats versus the team stats yeah and i would bet that when everyone on the team does better you know the team's gonna win and so it should be in your you, you could you could draw you could get 40 kills which is an unreal amount you could get 40 kills at a game and lose the game 
and still lose elo you cannot gain elo if you lose the game so i think because of that which which is different than csgo if you lose the game in csgo but you did really well it doesn't necessarily cause you to deep rank right where valorant they wanted people to play more as a team so they made it so that you have to prioritize winning the game over fragging out as people would say or you know getting the most amount of kills or or having the best stats right so i think that's one thing that's super refreshing in a game is that you don't have people trying to just steal kills for themselves or not play as a team because it's to their advantage to win the game in every situation so it's one of those games where you know if like you were saying earlier i did want i I wanted to touch back on you were saying in group projects when someone is lacking sometimes you would get upset with that person right these are all games that use a voice chat so my i'm spectating my teammate because i died and you know he makes a dumb move i could go and chat and be like what are you doing man like that's stupid but i could also be like you know good try you know he he was coming from the left side you know we could have called that out that you know that's on us because you don't want to tilt your own teammates you know you want them to keep performing well because if they keep performing well you're going to win the game and so right it's it is cool to see the way that every time i load into a game i'm with a different team of four other people yeah. every time i play some teams work better, and in the teams that bring each other down, I tend to not win with, ever. So, right. you know, I can tell in the first five rounds of a 30-round game how my team's going to do, because if people are bringing each other down, it's not a environment for someone to play well in. Right. And I think it translates to the workplace. It translates to the sports fields. I think it translates to most aspects of cooperation in life, yeah. is being able to work with a team and how to deal with, you know, failure. How, you know, do you yell at people uh, when when they do something wrong or do you try and help them? Or, you know, some people don't like being helped because, you know, they don't want you to tell them what to do, but just yeah. being like, oh, nice try. Yeah. Good go at it. And, it, and that's okay. And I yeah. think that's why it's, that's why games like this are so much more similar to like a team sport mm-hmm. than a game such as... Um, I even think like Rocket League is very similar to this in terms of, you know, working with Oh, I'm sorry. Do you mean soccer cars? (laughs) Yeah, soccer cars. (laughs) Games like Call of Duty, there's no, you know, you're just running and killing people and you're playing for yourself and nothing Mm -hmm. else because there's no ranks. You're just getting XP and that's all that matters. And and I think it's a lot less beneficial to learning different life skills than than playing a, a game like Valorant or, yeah. or CSGO or Rainbow Six Siege. Are these all games that you used to play? Yeah, I've, I've played almost every big game. I mean, I've played a lot of Apex Legends as well. I played oh, okay. a lot of Fortnite, a, yeah. lot of, uh, a lot of other stuff like that, and definitely had my experience with, with, with almost every popular game, I'd yeah. say. So Battle Royales, mm-hmm. massively multiplayer, other other things, but yep. the Battle Royale stuff is more, it's, it's single ranking, it's not a team-based general right so it's just like you're out for yourself you prefer the team based over the personal for what reason i think that the team based is for me is a lot more fun and rewarding because when i'm playing with my team and and i and i, and I do something really well or i make a good play you know maybe i've got a teammate that's like oh great shot or oh nice job john or you know whatever my username is in a game like fortnite or you know call of duty it's very toxic and you, and you oh, don't yeah. usually have teammates so you never like if i have you know a great game and fortnite it's no one's you know I'm, I'm playing by myself and i enjoy playing with other people and having like the teamwork and collaboration i just think it's a lot more rewarding do you have to worry about in something like valorant people griefing and people doing 
Conceivably, I can see yeah. some jackhole logging on and just messing with people's elos, right? Yeah, definitely. So how does matchmaking work in that? Does that kind of take elo into account when it's making its matches as to like minimize the possibility that someone is logging in just to mess with people? Definitely. So, yeah, I should have mentioned. So if I'm queuing up into a game and I'm diamond one, I'm only playing with other diamonds or with the rank right below me or or at least one rank above me. I'm only playing with people with very similar ranks to okay. me. Okay. So it's plus or minus one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there, you know, there's like a diamond one, two, three, there's a in below me, there's a platinum one, two, three. So when I'm in when I'm playing with as a diamond one, I'm only playing against plat two threes and diamond two threes, and that's it. And people at that rank have worked hard to be at that rank and it's right. a very competitive rank, so people don't normally th- you know, throw games or, or grief, but I've got f- friends that play in lower ranks and every other game, you've got someone who's like yelling at people on their team and making jokes and being annoying and, you know, buying random guns the whole time and not playing with the team. And it does happen. And Riot is very quick on, if I reported someone, they would be banned within the next like 20 minutes or at least get a suspension. Okay. Like they're very speedy because they review the match and they lo- they just watch it quickly and be like, oh, this guy's clearly not, you know, playing the game how it's intended to be played. And he's not, you know, creating a fun environment for his teammates and we don't want that. So they're usually pretty quick about that. Oh, wow. And I think I'd, I don't usually run into any, any trouble with that. Every once in a while. It's tough, you know, you'll get someone who maybe their Wi-Fi disconnects mid-game and then you lose because you're playing four versus five the whole time. Right, right. But they're, they're indicators to that, you know, to, to the, like, even if you report them, they would be able to see, you know, they would be able to figure out what what caused that, right? It's not just like... Oh, yeah. I, it tells me if the, if the person, like, disconnected on my team, it says in chat, you know, so-and-so has just disconnected and, and there's not a whole lot you can do about it. But if it does happen in the first two rounds of the game, it'll actually end the game and you'll find a new one instead and it won't count towards your ELO. Gotcha. Can the person rejoin? Like if they have got something where they drop because of... Yeah. You, you, does it, yeah, does if it... they disconnected, they could rejoin. Yes. Okay. All right. So so it automatically knows who what, what team they were associated with. Yeah, but if I had... I had disconnected from the game and, you know, I missed the game. Mm-hmm. By the time my, my Wi-Fi's back up, the game's already over. I'd either get, you know, a 30-minute ban up to a week ban. Oh, wow. Even if it's not your fault, you know, even if it's just the Wi-Fi, they still ban you just because anyone could disconnect at any point. And it's a form of throwing the game. It's a form of griefing. Right. So right. they can't, you know, and it, and it stacks. So if, if I've disconnected from one game in the last month, it's only going to give me like a three minute ban but if i'm disconnecting from you know three four five games in a month i'm going to be getting hour to day long bans interesting when it comes to multiplayer type games i'm generally someone who plays the 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 varieties that are player versus environment type games where you get paired up with groups of people to collectively go against whatever I recently downloaded the latest expansion for Outriders. I don't know if you, if you played Outriders, but I've heard of it. It's basically you get randomly paired up with with people, or you could set your own team or whatever. But any of those games where it's like a group of people playing against the environment, it is a hundred percent for fun. There's no ranking. There's no, mm-hmm. you you know what I mean. 
and it seems like it's kind of a different i mean are there people out there who play valorant who just don't care about their elo that just will play it just for fun or is yeah, it yeah i think there's other game modes you can play in valorant like you okay. can play deathmatch or you could play there's fun modes you can play where it doesn't count towards your rank and okay. like gives you all your abilities and you can kind of mess around and have fun with it and not play competitive which is why you know there is the like the mode i'm talking about is called competitive Right, and you don't have to play. You can play casual and just have fun, and there's no ranking or anything like that. So you mentioned an economy that's in game. So yes. do you gain you gain money per so, per round? I don't I don't quite understand where the economy fits in. I know you pick a yeah. I'll, I'll explain. So the game starts out the very first round of the game. You know the score is zero zero. One team's on defense. One team's on offense. This is called pistol round because. You start with, I think, $800 mm-hmm. and, you know, an SMG or a rifle or a shotgun starts at like a thousand. So you, you won't have enough money for that. But, you know, you can buy other other pistols. You can buy, you know, a revolver or like an automatic pistol that's better for short range or you can buy this little like pistol shotgun thing. Um, and they call it pistol round just because, you know, it's, it's only pistols and it's a big advantage to win that round because you get money. For every kill you get, you get money for planting the bomb, mm-hmm. and you know you get a mo- you get money for winning the round. Okay. So if I'm on offense and I we plant the bomb and we end up winning the pistol round, then going into the second round, my whole team can afford to buy. Uh, it'd be called a light buy. So like we could all buy SMGs and shield, where mm-hmm. the other team they're still on pistols because they didn't they didn't make enough money because they lost the round so you know we have the advantage where we have smgs and they're still using pistols so that's you know that's it's a big advantage and that's why the money uh comes into play a lot because sometimes your team won't have money to buy for that round and that that will be called the save Mm -hmm. a save round you save your money for the next round because you know if i have only two thousand and the other team all has rifles which cost you know twenty nine hundred and you also have to buy a field which is a thousand and you have to pay for your abilities which is mm. interesting huh. you have to buy your abilities every round so say yes yeah, save rounds are, are are big just uh just because you know you could win a save round and it's huge bonus but if you lose it it's all right because you didn't spend money trying to buy weapons and you know right. it's just one round and can come back and win the next one so so in valorant there are what four different types of roles that you can play is that is that is that yeah really i have correct? it i have it pulled up yeah do you do you have it pulled up actually yeah i have it pulled up right now i'm looking at it it's duelists sentinels yeah uh initiators and controllers yeah so i can explain them a little bit um so your controller valorant describes it as an agent Controller agents are experts in slicing up dangerous territory to set their team up for success. Right. So if, if I'm on offense and I'm trying to take this site, and there's I know there's two or three people on the other team defending this site, I can have an ability that you know I can I can smoke off one of the guys who's playing one spot. So now he can't see anything because right. there's a smoke you know like a little smoke bomb thing, or I could um, I could stun him with right. an ability, or I could blind him. And then there's duelists. Duelists, I don't really need to read the explanation. A duelist is someone who should be getting the most kills on your team, and they should be the first person to push into every site. Mm-hmm. Like they should be, they're the uh, front line. You know, they they sprint out onto the site. Yep, and they're they're calling out. You know, they're running on the site. Okay, I see one here, one here. Okay, I got one pick, and then they die, and that's their job. Okay. And then they they kind of clear the room so that the rest of the team can push onto the site behind them. So they're designed to be squishy, kind of. Yes. Okay. Yep. They should have the most kills and the most deaths. Okay. Gotcha. 
Um, and they should be getting the first kill most of the every, almost every round. Okay. And then you've got your initiator, who is uh, it says they challenge angles by setting up their team to enter contested ground and push defenders away. Mm-hmm. Initiator would be, you know, I could send a ground blast that covers half the site, and after I use that ability, the rest of my team pushes in. Mm-hmm. I'm not pushing in myself right away. But I'm using this ability to help my duelist push in. Gotcha. My duelist is like, hey, I'm about to take the site. Okay, hold up. Let me flash it out for you. Let me stun them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the other person pushes in. And then lastly is a sentinel. A sentinel can lock down areas with flanks. So a sentinel generally has trip wires. Okay. So I could be like, guys, we're all going to push this. You know, we're all pushing A. I'm going to trip the spawn behind us because I want to make sure they don't loop all the way around the map and try to kill us from behind. Okay. So I'm going to trip wire, you know, this this hallway and I'll let you know if they come through. The trip wire wouldn't kill them, but it just alert you and say, "Hey, so and so has been stuck in your trip wire." Right. And then you go, "Oh, okay, so I know there's one person coming behind us at least." Gotcha. And they can also have uh, sentinels, you know, there's a character cipher, he's got a camera that he can use. He can attach it to the wall and he can access the camera from anywhere on the map. Yeah. You know, he clicks a button and he can look through the camera and see who's on site. Their main job is intel. They're supposed to get, there's Sova, who's a character who has a bone arrow. Yeah. And he can shoot this bone arrow into anywhere. He can bounce it off walls and stick it onto a wall and it'll scan. It'll pulse four times and it'll highlight where the enemies are on the map if they're within that area. Hmm. It's, you know, a, a little radius. Yeah. So, I this you know, we talked offline and because of these abilities, I would compare Valorant more to chess than I would Call of Duty. Yeah, that was just an because interesting... because all the abilities. You've got, you know, in chess, you've got pawns, rooks, and they all move different ways, and they all have different abilities, right. similar to a game like Valorant. Yeah. And, and they're, they're a lot more, you know, there's two components. There's two components that make up Valorant, and one of them is aim, like mm-hmm. precision. You know, how you're just basic mechanics. Do you have good aim? Do you know, are you comfortable on your keyboard or mouse? And the other one is game sense, knowing how to use abilities, knowing what the other team's abilities do, knowing where they might be playing, knowing where they might be standing and, and when to use what abilities and, and, and game plan. That's which is honestly probably more important than name. Well, also, there, so there, I is, think it's more similar to that. Yeah. Is, is there also, a, a, you know, how certain abilities work together better than other abilities would work together, mm-hmm. right? There's that kind yeah. of thing, too, where it's like these two two abilities one you know like if one person has the camera and the other person has something else they can kind of are there combos that work better than others i mean definitely you're not going to have a team of four or five duelists right no you would never have a team of five duelists it would every team makes up of two duelists Mm -hmm. and then from there you'd probably have a uh one you'd have one controller, one initiator, and one sentinel. Okay. There's always two duelists on every team just because it's important to have someone enter site. But yeah, players work together. For you know, for example, you've got Sage and this character can throw a slow orb onto the onto a, onto the ground. Right. And enemies move very, very slowly in this orb and they're kind of stuck in it. It's like quicksand basically. Right. You know, you can't really move very fast and when you do try and move, it actually makes noise. So they can hear if you're trying to move through it. So I could pair that up with with Phoenix, who's got a fireball on the ground. Right. And I could slow someone and then toss this fireball on the ground right where the slow is, and they wouldn't be able to escape, you know, the fireball, and they'd yeah. end up taking damage from that. Okay. So you can pair them together in many, many different ways. There's yeah. like an infinite, uh, you know, because every character's got four abilities, and there's 
I think, 20 characters now. So there's like an infinite amount of combinations you can use. Yeah. You can, you know, you can, you can stun someone on sight and then you could use an ability to trap them or you could flash them out or, you know, there's just a bunch of different ways you can do and you can work together. And that's why, you know, you, you can use the voice chat like, hey, you know, hey, Sova, I'm about to flash out. When I flash, can you hold this left angle when I push out? And and then they'd be like, yep, yeah, all right, I'm flashing in three, two, and then you flash out and you're, you're executing stuff. And so you've got a game plan and you're using your abilities together. Right. And um, yeah, I just think it's, you know, it's very, it's definitely very complex. And there's still some things that I haven't really learned how to master and how to use. And I, I only use probably four or five of the characters. Okay. The other ones are too complicated people definitely main characters yeah i was going to ask you what your main was but you don't have one it sounds like i main a duelist yeah i main i main jet and rays so jet and rays are you know two characters jet is has like these little smoke bombs she can use but she has this her best ability is her dash so i can dash you know front left right or backwards mm-hmm. um and i'll dash you know probably 10 feet forward i could dash 10 feet backwards so it's important because i could peak an angle and where there's, you know, three people looking at me, I could kill one of them and dash away and, mm-hmm. and be able to escape without, uh, you know, them, them catching me or anything like that. And then her ultimate is she can, like, shoot these floating knives out of her hands. And uh, <laughs> she's definitely a skill-based player to where someone is bad, someone that's not great at the game using her has very little to no advantage to the team. But someone who's good with her uh, could be the key component to winning the game. So so something that's like a projectile, like knives, though, is it the same sort of, do you have to be accurate with the knife as opposed to if it's your ultimate, wouldn't you just throw the knives and they home to whatever? I mean, is it is it something where you still have to be okay. accurate with with it? So but... I will try to explain this into the most, in the most, you know, non-video gamer friendly way as it is a complicated subject but in a in a in a first person pe- first person precision shooter which CS:GO and Valorant are considered mm-hmm. when you're spraying a gun such as you know the the AK47 in CS:GO or the Vandal which is the equivalent in Valorant if you are moving while you're shooting your accuracy is not is is going to be you know your bullets are going to be spraying every which direction right. but if you stand still it's going to shoot exactly where you're aiming okay so when you're using a gun like this, you have to hold angles, and, and when you swing, like if you're, you know, if you're pushing someone, you have to stop moving and then shoot them. Right. You can't shoot them while you're moving. Okay. But Jet's knives do not have any sort of fall off when it comes to moving versus not moving. So I could be flying through the air, like you know, moving really fast through the air and throwing these knives at someone, mm-hmm. and they will be exactly accurate. The catch is when you use this ability, you, you spawn in, you know, you, you spawn five floating knives in the air. Right. And you can shoot one at a time, which are super preci- like super accurate, or you could right click and shoot all five at once, but it's only good for close range. So if I'm jumping through the air and I shoot these five knives, as soon as I get a kill with them, they regenerate and I get five new ones. Uh-huh. But if I shoot all five knives and I miss and I don't get a kill, they go away and the ability is over. So you have to take advantage of it. If you're going to use it, you know, you want to be getting kills with it because it will keep regenerating and you keep getting more knives. Right. But if you don't get a kill with it, then, you know, your, your knives appears. go away. And, and you generally use it on a round where you're not buying a weapon because you're saving. Right. Because you can use that instead of your weapon. Yeah. So then you usually get left without a gun and you're kind of just left out to dry with your starter pistol. So right. it's, um, you know, high risk, high reward, as most of the abilities are. 
So how many different guns are there to purchase? Like when you buy a gun per round, is it like, I mean, are we talking hundreds of guns? Are we talking about dozens? So there are 17 guns in the game. Okay. And five of them are pistols. One of them you already st- spawn in with. You don't have to buy. You always have it, no matter what. Right. Every round you spawn in with this pistol. And, and even if you buy another gun, you still have the pistol. You could still switch back to it at any point. Okay. Um, and then you've got the, the, the categories. You've, so those are sidearms. Then you've got SMGs, the Stinger versus the Spectre. The Stinger is you know cheaper, cheaper, less accurate. The Spectre is a little bit more accurate, um, but more expensive. And then you've got shotguns. And then you've got rifles. The, these four rifles, you've got the Bulldog, which is the cheapest rifle you can buy. It's not great, um, but it's better than using a pistol or an SMG. And then you got the Guardian, which shoots, uh, which is a semi-auto gun. And it's a one shot to the head as a kill, but uh, it doesn't do a lot of body damage. So it's, it's tough to use. You have to be very accurate if you're going to use it. And then for $200 more, you get to choose between the Phantom or the Vandal. And the Vandal is a one-shot headshot, but it's a slower fire rate. The Phantom uh, does uh, a lot of damage to the head, but it won't it won't one-shot them from a certain distance. And uh, but it has a fire uh, a higher fire rate, and it's easier to spray with. Okay. So generally, someone who has better aim would choose the Vandal. Someone who is kind of looking to spray spray down a group of you know a group of enemies or something would use the Vandal, All or right. sorry, the Phantom. And then you got your snipers. You've got a cheap one that's a Marshall. It doesn't kill one shot to the body. It, you know, you need to get a headshot with it. And then you got the Operator, which is the, the op from CSGO. It's your classic sniper rifle. It's a one-shot kill no matter where you're at, no matter how far away. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also the, the most, ex- some, most expensive gun. Yeah, probably. most expensive gun in the game. Yeah. Yep, so that so that gun costs 4500 where your rifles are, you know, 2900 Okay. So it's almost double, and it's and it's hard to to have to build up enough money to purchase an operator but if you can it's very advantageous yeah and then you've got some lmgs like some heavy guns but no one really uses those that often so okay. and then you have to buy your shield you have a light armor and a heavy armor you could buy it every round those impact how fast you're, you're going to i'm guessing or no they don't no nothing in, oh the lmgs do yeah if you're if you're carrying if you're running with your with your lmg out you're going to be really slow right but but like CSGO, if you're holding your knife out, you run very fast. So most people, when they're running around the map, not necessarily in a gunfight, if they're just running from one site to the other, they carry their knife out because they're running a lot faster. Gotcha. Um, and then they'd switch back to their gun once they feel like they're in range of you know, you know, know, enemies. So they'd mm-hmm. switch back to their gun and carry that out. So. so one other thing I read about these tactics, I guess, for Valorant is spray patterns, which I didn't quite understand until you started talking about spraying. Do you do you have to buy various spray patterns or is this just something that happens when you're running? It's it's the different spray pattern with an automatic gun, Mm -hmm. it's the same and it's similar in CSGO. And in in CSGO, if I'm holding if I have a gun and I hold down the trigger, you know, it's shooting like twenty bullets in a couple seconds. It's shooting them fast. But they don't all shoot in the same spot. Mm-hmm. It's there's recoil. There's recoil. You know, they try to make it somewhat realistic. So there's recoil on all these weapons, and so I'm holding down the gun. It's gonna start if I don't pull my mouse down while I'm shooting it. I'll be aiming at the ceiling. You know. Right. Right. So there's by spray patterns. They mean how do you you know you can pull down your mouse and kind of move it left and right while you're pulling down 
in order to control the spray so it shoots each of those bullets in the same spot. And that's one of the hardest skills to learn uh, in both games because, you know, if, I, if I'm in a gunfight with someone and I can place all six of my bullets on him where he can only place two on me because he's trying to struggling with the recoil, I'm going to win that gunfight every time. Right. Um, but CSGO, spray patterns are the same every time, meaning... You know, the first bullet I shoot is right on. The second one's going to be a little bit lower to the left. Third one's going to be lower to the right, and then so on and so forth. And and it's a it's it's kind of a weird looking pattern for some of the guns, but it is the same every time you shoot it. It's the same pattern. Okay. Valorant, your first four or five bullets are the same. After that, though, it's actually RNG. Oh, okay. So uh, right. there's a, there is luck. When you, if you're in a battle with someone and you you're both spraying at each other and you both are through your first five bullets, it's kind of luck. You, mm. you know, you still have to pull down the gun, but it could be shoot. It could you could catch a lucky headshot, like a stray bullet hits him in the head, and and then you win that gunfight. And you know he gets a stray bullet and it hits you in your foot and it doesn't do any damage, or it does a little bit of damage. So there is some luck involved in that. But uh, yeah, so that's the difference is, you know, CSGO, there's a set spray pattern with every gun, meaning you can, you could sit in a custom lobby and learn the spray pattern for right. every gun in the game. Right. Or Valorant, you can learn, you can learn them all, but they, uh, they, it's only the first four or five bullets. And then from after that, after that, it's just all luck. And, and uh, that's why there's, it's a lot different, but the reason it makes more sense that they would have a little bit more RNG is because Valorant wants you to use your abilities more. They don't want it to just be a gunfighting game. You know, they want it to be people using their smokes and their flashes and their walls and all that stuff. Right. They don't want the focus of it just to be another Call of Duty. So is a kill so, a kill a kill, or does it matter if you use a certain higher level power? Do you, I mean, kill do you get is more? A kill is a kill. It's, gotcha. the, it's worth the same uh, no matter what. Um, however. Uh, kills with certain guns can give you more money. Mm-hmm. Like if I if I knife someone, which is really rare, but if I knife someone, I get a lot more money than if I shoot them. Gotcha. But generally speaking, it doesn't really make a difference with with any gun. Uh, and abilities give you the same amount of money for mm-hmm. for a kill. Mm-hmm. You said you did. There are some similarities to Overwatch, but I mean, isn't Overwatch more the opposite? It's more just powers as opposed to. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Overwatch, there's no guns. It's only abilities. Yeah. And then CS:GO, there's no abilities, only guns. So it's the it's the combination of the two. Gotcha. And it, you know, CS:GO, you don't have people flying around the map. Everyone is stationary on their feet. You know, right. you could jump up onto a ledge or something, but you can't fly, fly like you around, can with, yeah. with jet. You know, I've got an ability where I can updraft like ten feet into the air, mm-hmm. and um, get up to certain spaces that you wouldn't be able to with a normal character. Right. So it's a lot more complex. Gotcha. And you said you you're only I mean, is this because it's only been out for a short period of time? Do you do you plan on doing the you know, playing the other characters try to master those or is it just a matter of I've played most of the characters. The thing is I just play the ones I'm best at. Gotcha. You know, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna struggle through because every game's like an hour. Mm-hmm. I'm not gonna play a character that I don't enjoy playing and that I'm not great with for an hour. You know, I'm not right. gonna struggle through that because at the end of the day, I'm trying to have fun, and, and, and it is competitive, and I'm going to help my team the most I can by using the character that I'm best with. So that's why I generally – I coming from CSGO, where I have the aim, a lot of people coming from you know Fortnite or coming from Overwatch or other games like that, they don't have the aim, but they might know how to use abilities. Mm-hmm. But if I'm using a duelist, my job is to win my one-on-ones. So like when I'm you know faced off against – 
if I'm in a gunfight with a guy who's on defense or, you know, I'm on defense and he's on offense, I should win my gunfight most of the time. But um, I'm not necessarily a master with all the abilities, and that's what I'm working on. And that's the difference between a low-level ranked player and the higher-level ranked players is learning how to do both. How important is your rig in Valorant? I would guess that your gaming rig is not very important, actually. No, okay. Well, so Valorant is um, optimized, so it can be run on like almost any computer, and it's very, very it's 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 very easy to run to where almost anyone could probably get above eighty frames. Okay. I personally get like two hundred and fifty frames, and I I think the most important part is actually your peripherals. So, like, having a monitor refresh rate above 144 or, like, 144 plus mm-hmm. is what you need to be – like, you can't really even – with a 60 hertz monitor, it's it, it's really – it's very limiting to – it's very it, it puts a very low ceiling for the level of Precision? Uh, play that you can get to because there's too much delay with 60 hertz. And right. when you're playing against someone who's on a monitor that's – got 144 or 240 hertz refresh rate they are seeing your character model on their screen faster than you're seeing their character model so it's it's just you're at such a disadvantage like not a little advantage like a massive advantage so and since so so since the game is easy to run to get high frames Mm -hmm. it's most important like you have a good monitor and a good good mouse the rig itself not important the peripherals very important that's interesting because I was always of the thought that if you have a better a better system, then you're at an advantage. But but I mean, now that you mention it, it makes sense. Monitor, maybe to some extent, graphics card in some games, mm-hmm. but a little bit. Yeah. yeah. Do you have anything to say about the word cooperation before we go? Any helpful hints? Any uh, anything that comes to mind? Cooperation is something that everyone should learn to master because it never hurts, only helps, and it applies to so many aspects of life. Yeah, you know, humans were made to coexist, so might as well learn to do it well. Make the most of it. Thank you so much, John, for joining me on the show today. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. Maybe sometime later we can do another show about something that's mm-hmm. not so Valorant and lacrosse heavy. Yeah. On that note, thank you for joining us on the Two Vague Podcast. My name is Ben. My name is John. And we've been your hosts. Have a wonderful night. Bye. Thank you. Bye.